Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Well, it's good to see each one of you here, and it's good to, to pray together and, and get kind of rein in loose thoughts. Otherwise, we get to a service and we just, we're distracted. And so, in this way, we're able to just focus our minds and our hearts right now. So far in this series, we've been looking at the book of First Peter, looking at the subject of identity. And so, this is how we've defined identity. It's who I am at the core of my being. And know, knowing who, who you are is crucial for the kind of life you experience. And our goal for this whole series is to to show what is a biblical view, what is the Bible's view of identity, and then what does it mean for us if we decide to follow Jesus Christ. So, quick review. Week one, we, we looked at a new view of me, that when you decide to follow Jesus Christ, you get a new primary identity. You become a Christ follower. He has. We defined a couple of terms. The terms were elect exiles. That's a description of a Christ follower. They are elect. They've been chosen by God, called into a personal relationship with God because of God's love. He initiated this relationship. We respond to him. But then we're exiles, meaning we, we, this is not our home. This earth is a temporary place of residence. Our ultimate home is heaven. So week two, we began to talk about how heaven, having this perspective, we have a never-fading inheritance. That's that's. That's where we're heading. This is, that gives us a new perspective here and now. We get refined here. We have trials here. But we're receiving a never-fading inheritance. Uh, God's preparing us, even through the pains of this life, for the next. And so if you missed week one or week two, then those are both uh, online. And if you've been here and you're trying to you know, understand what it means to be a Christian, or you, you recognize this person who's a Christ follower lives life different. There's a reason, and that's, that's what we've been uh, fleshing out. We're going to go even further into what's different about a Christ follower. It's not just that they're a good person. It's not just, um, it's just not them. It's actually that God has, he's renewing them. They're born again. So we looked at last week, what does that term born again Christian really mean? Where does that come from? But there's a new life that's been given, it has been provided. And so we're going to keep looking at what that, how that works itself out in real practical ways today. So in the Bible, here's what you discover. You discover that when you follow Christ, your new identity leads you to live differently and then to love deeply. So we're going to talk about these two main, major points out of this passage, 1 Peter 1, 13 through 24. So first, a Christ follower, this new identity, it, it leads us to live life very different. Now, the Bible often describes this idea of, by using the word holiness, Christians are to live holy lives. doesn't mean they're perfect, but they're to live holy lives. And a holy, the word holy, it means that it's something that's been set apart for a purpose. And so look at these verses, verse 13 through 16. These, these verses describe what holy living looks like. This is what you're aiming for if you're a Christ follower, holy living. So therefore, Christ followers, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. That word, those words self-controlled, the Greek there can also be translated, be sober-minded. Okay? Be sober-minded. Self-controlled, sober-minded. 
has to do with our thinking. These first two phrases. Prepare your minds for action to be self-controlled. Then it says, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So I want to walk through what these phrases mean to give you a sense of what this new identity in life really looks like. First, Peter writes, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds. Peter's reminding us to keep our thoughts and our minds in check. The word prepare in the Greek, it's a, it literally means to gird up. Gird up. Now, we don't often use this phrase, gird up. Gird up your you know stuff, your loins. Gird up your belt, tighten things. Gird means to, to basically tighten something up. Okay. So let's say you're a, you're a two-hole person on your belt. Maybe you'd be like, I'm going to go for three today. Girding it up to the three. Or this is going to be a really rough day. I gotta, I'm going to be wearing a lot of tools and some tool belts. And so I'm going to gird up to four. I'm just really tightening up any slack. That, that's the idea. Or cinching down a rope that has a lot of extra slack would be this same idea of preparing. It's you're, you're tightening. You're cinching down. You're tying something down. And it, it's like in the ancient times when this was written, the concept here is referring to how a person would gather up their robes and the excess of their robes and tuck their excess robe into their belt before they before they start walking. So if they're standing there talking and they realize they're going to maybe need to respond quickly and start moving, they, they could gird up their robes, tuck it in, cinch it down, and then be able to move freely. Okay, This is the idea. What, what Peter is really urging, though, is that we would... Pull in all of the loose ends of our lives and of our thinking. And that we do this a lot. We prepare our minds for action. This is a major part of holy living. Prepare, pull in all the loose ends. That's what we just did as we were praying. We took all the loose ends of our thoughts and we just reined them in and, and brought them to God. And, and that helps. It prepares our mind. Peter's urging us to do this by tightening up constantly on the truth. When you pray, you're, you're tightening up on the truth. When you wake up and when you go to bed with God's truth in mind, then what happens is your life is going to look differently because of that. Next he says this. He says, be self-controlled. A practical way of keeping you know, your mind in check is to be self-controlled. The opposite of this is to lose sober judgment. To lose sober judgment. Now when someone's drunk... They lose control of, of everything. They lose control of their thoughts. They lose control of their actions. They lose control of their words. They lose control of their bodies. If they're truly impaired, you just can see it. They, they lose control. And what happens in our minds when, we have, when, our, when we're losing sober judgment, our thoughts start creeping in, wrong thoughts start creeping in that lead us down a very dark path where we find ourselves really impaired and we lose sight of the focused life that God wants us to have. And we entertain the wrong types of thoughts far too long. So Peter says, prepare your mind for action, be self-controlled, rein in the thoughts. So the picture here of these first two uh, focuses is Peter saying, Christ followers, they keep a constant rein on their minds. But that's, that's easier said than done. So Peter knew this, and he, he gives us some more help. So it goes on and he says, here's what you do with your thoughts. Set your hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed. Focus on God's grace. That's what you do with, with your thoughts. You rein in loose thoughts and you focus your thoughts 
on the sacrifice, if you're a Christ follower, the sacrifice that the Lord Jesus paid for you. Don't forget about the sacrifice that he made. Don't forget about the hope of heaven that was bought for you through the blood of Jesus. That's what Peter's saying. We've escaped eternal death and separation from God, and we have a living hope, and that compels us not to just hand over our mind every day to every thought that maybe passed through it and can capture our thoughts. Peter's saying it's really important. Prepare your minds, focus your minds, focus on this, focus on the sacrifice that Jesus made. And do not conform, is this another statement he makes. Peter's saying, look, you follow God. Don't go back to the way you used to live, your old desires, your old way of living. Instead, make a shift, be holy, because God's holy, and this is where he is leading you. His new identity is calling you to live a holy life. And then Peter continues on in this passage, and he shows you know, what this hope and this holiness is built on. And look at verse 17 through 21. This is not... The foundation is not our own good deeds, our own merit. It says, since you call on a father, verse 17, who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. You're, you're exiles, you're elect exiles, he's saying. Live differently here. Why? Because verse 18, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. You were redeemed, he's saying, by something very, very precious. Have you ever redeemed aluminum? Like cans? Sorry, it's early, you know. Make that connection. Has anyone ever recycled before? I'll break it down even further. Okay, only one person recycled. Me and John here, who are the only recyclers here. We need to do a, a, a talk on good stewardship, I guess. <laughs> but... You know, sometimes it's like, oh, it's a headache. I'm, I'm going to get, I'm going to get, you know, ten dollars, twenty dollars for these cans, and it sure helps to get that ten and twenty dollars, though, doesn't it? You know, it's like, hey, a little extra, you know, to play with, and thirty dollars, and this is not like that. When it's when it's just money you're exchanging, and they're holding your redemption money, you know, they're holding it in exchange for this can, they'll give you that money back. It's it's just money. It doesn't change your life when you go and recycle, which is why so many. Of us just don't recycle all that often. It's not, it's not life-altering, is it? Peter's saying, you know, if you've been redeemed, it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Verse 21, through him you believe in God, through Christ, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. We were ransomed from death to life because of Jesus and his blood that was shed for us. Jesus became the spotless lamb for us. He was the ultimate sacrifice, which all Old Testament sacrifices pointed towards. God commanded his people, the Israelites, to offer up flawless animals, and Jesus was morally spotless. He was the perfect sacrifice, and he was a sacrifice holy unto the Lord, and his death ransomed slaves of sin and bought their freedom. Peter's reminding us of this is what has happened. This is what you've experienced in a spiritual sense, and it's only the sacrifice of Jesus that has made this new life possible. Because our sin had separated us from God. And we couldn't do enough good on our own to make it right. So God, through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, the spotless lamb, he 
He redeemed us. And although our relationship with God was broken by sin, through Jesus we're restored into a relationship. Now, in the rest of this passage, so this first part, our new identity, it leads us to, to live differently. It's because of the sacrifice that Jesus has made. That's why we live differently. We live a holy life because he's redeemed us with his precious blood. Peter now describes another element of how a Christ follower does this as well. Not only do we live differently, but we are to love deeply because of what Christ has done. And this is a very powerful passage, in my opinion. Now, men, don't get twisted up when I say love deeply. You know, if you're like, ah, oh, that's... I need to go build something later. <laughs> Talked about loving deeply today at church. You know, I need to go, I don't know, do something really manly today. So don't get twisted up about this phrase. Look at, where, look at the context of what Peter's saying. Verses 22 23, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Here's why. goes on to remind us why we love deeply and live differently is because of this. For you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. You've been reborn. You've moved from death to life, and so that changes things. So zero in on verse 22. And let's pretty much just stay here in verse 22 for the rest of this uh, message. Here's what it looks like to love deeply. Look at it again, verse 22. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. What does it look like to do this? First, it's towards all people out of gratitude to God. If you've been redeemed through the precious blood of Christ, then he wants you to love people. He wants you to love people. Open your heart to people. Just be kind to people. And it's because once we grasp how much God values us, how much value he's placed on you, if you've received Christ, then you start extending love to others because that's what's on God's heart. God loves people so much. So much so that his love moved him to send his son and sacrifice his son to pay the price for their rebellion. And just when I think, man, I'm... I could never love that person. This person is just unlovable. I'm reminded of how much I've offended God and taken for granted his love and his kindness. And who am I to withhold? And who are we to withhold God? You know, love and kindness to people when God so generously has poured his love out on us and rescued us from our sin. That's the song we sing about, you know, God's the one who leaves the 99 and goes after the one that wanders off. That's referencing a story of one sheep who a shepherd goes to find when he realizes that one of his 100 sheep is gone. He leaves the 99 and he goes in pursuit of, of the one. That's what God has done. If you've, if you've received him, he, he's, he's rescued you from danger and from darkness and from separation from him. Think about, think about that. Now, in... in in a spiritual sense, it's hard to get our minds around that. But if, if, if I had been saved by a paramedic, if I got in a car wreck, and I'd been saved by a paramedic, then you can bet that I'd appreciate my life more and would have a newfound bond with first responders. I would, I would, when I hear the sirens coming, I would probably get out of the way faster. I'd probably be honking people, get out of their way. They've got to get somewhere. I got someone to save. Why? Well, it's because I, if I'd been saved like that, I, I'd, 
I'd want to help. I'd also be far more aware of those who are in need because I'd be thankful for my own rescue. Now, I want to show you an example of this from a, from a news story of a girl and her mother who were rescued by a first responder and who their lives were saved. And now they have deep appreciation. So let's, let's take a look at this and I'll bring it back to this passage. To spend this Christmas with her daughter. Good evening. I'm Josh Rowe. And I'm Alyssa Sperato. Her daughter's name is Joy. The two of them experienced the unthinkable during holiday travel. Hannah Lawrence explains why doctors and first responders say it's a miracle Joy survived. This mangled metal was the minivan carrying Joy Nason and her mother to a 4th of July beach vacation until there was a car that was stopped, um, had run out of gas up ahead of us. An attempt to avoid that car led their minivan to spin out of control, hitting the concrete barrier. Yes. The first thing I remember is his voice. I've reassured both of them that I was not going to leave them. Travis Williams is a safety officer with the Chattanooga Fire Department. He happened to be driving behind the two when they crashed. It was divine intervention. This one was different for me because normally we're dispatched and go up on it. I just witnessed it all happen. I'm by myself. When more help arrived, paramedics helped free Joy from the wreckage. I broke my femur and both of my tibias and my fibula and just like two and my wrist and my nose. Even with double-casted legs, Joy kept a smile on her face in the weeks that followed. And it helped all of us because when we got that picture, I was able to forward it to everybody else that was on the scene. And well, I mean, I love my scars because they, like, tell a story. They're, like, a part of who I am now. This December, doctors and nurses at Erlanger voted Joy as their miracle child of the year for not only surviving this wreck, but for doing it with radiant positivity. I just have been reminded that these hard, hard things just um, are so sweet to usher in um, the blessing of God's presence. I just try to make the best out of every situation because, like, you can't change it, so you might as well, like, find joy in it. Since the accident, this sweet mother-daughter pair has been bringing meals to the firefighters here at Station 7. Just to be part. It's all of our story together. Days before the Nasons moved to Knoxville, they finally got to meet Williams for the first time since the accident. He gave them a little something to remember their unlikely relationship. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Hannah Lawrence with that story. Joy says all that she's gone through over the past five months has led her to want to become a doctor. She says she would like to help others. So, so now, so she, she now starts serving them. She, she starts giving back to them. Not just the one person who rescued her, but now she's thinking about like, man, I, I want to care for these people that are caring for others. She's bringing them meals. It says she wants to become a doctor. And so she goes from being rescued to wanting to be a helper and a rescuer in a sense. And in reality, in a spiritual sense, I owe my whole life here and now to God to serve his purposes. He has saved me. He saved you. If you've responded to, if, if, if you're a Christ follower, then he saved you from an eternity without him where you had no hope. You had no hope for recovery, no hope for uh, once. Eternal death is, is it's, it's, it's forever. You know, once this life is over, to not get things 
in order with your relationship with God, it's, it's, it's final. Once you realize, wow, God has, I was, I was dead in my sin. There was nothing I could do on my own. But God breathed life into me, is what Paul writes in, in Ephesians. He brought me to life. How could I not love people here on earth, here and now? This is his major agenda. Love people. Love people. Why? Well, it's because his, it's his major agenda. He wants us to be ours as well. And I've seen this shift happen over and over again. Grumpy people commit their lives to Christ and become grateful people. <laughs> Isolated people commit their lives to follow Christ and become connected people and even kind people. Christ transforms us from the inside out and we really begin to change and reflect his heart. But there's also an added thrust to this passage towards other Christ followers. We are to have a full stretch for God's family. Now, this is more than just love people and, and, and you know, out of gratitude for God. But there's a focus in, in this verse, verse 22. Have sincere love for your brothers. Full stretch for God's family. Love one another deeply. This is an even closer bond that's to occur within the family of God amongst the brothers. That goes beyond just a general love for people in the world. This right here is another reason why it's important to pull into a local group of Christ followers, a local church, because there's no way to really narrow your focus in life when you say, I'm a Christ follower and, I'm, and I love the worldwide family of God. There's no way to really narrow your focus unless you commit to a group of people. And it doesn't work real well to love one another deeply without a local church family. But in a local church, you can get to know one another on a personal level. Not everyone here. You're not going to be able to get to know everyone here. But on a, on a group level, with groups of people, which is why we do groups. This is how we work this out. This is how we flesh this out. And if some of you are in, in, in some of our groups, life groups or growth groups, you're experiencing an opportunity to love one another deeply through the, through the issues and challenges and the real stuff of life that just shows up. Now, don't get me wrong, if you, if you pull into a group and you pull into a church, you're not off the hook when opportunities on the larger scale show up within the family of God. Today, you know, today a tragedy could happen around the other side of the globe or somewhere across the country, and maybe that should affect you deeply. And maybe you should do something deeply and personally. And you can't always do that. You can't always act, but they're brothers as well. And so what Peter's getting at is, there needs to be a care, a deep care for people because of what God has done in sending his son. To love deeply, the word in the Greek, it's, it's, it's earnestly, we're extending. It's like this picture. It's launching off the start line in a race. You're fully extending. You're, you're, flexing, you're, you're flexing forward. This is how we're to care for one another and serve one another here. If you, if you aren't loving that way, then you're missing something very important because this is what it cost God to rescue you. He extended himself deeply. The opportunities show up for us to do this in the lives of others all the time in very practical ways. Time, money, listening, serving, moving, repairing, building. Something I just try to remember is that when I'm, when I'm loving people and extending for people, it's going to require a lot of flexibility of myself and I'm going to have to keep my expectations very, very low. Very low expectations. I extend myself, but then I keep a low expectation on what I'm going to get in return. In a church life, I'm just, I found out that I'm just continually challenged to full stretch for other people. Just like running a sprint, I need to stretch first. 
It's the same with people. I just, I can't get tired of stretching. I can't get tired of extending myself in my relationships with others. Don't forget that this is, this is, you've been redeemed, Peter's saying. This is just the new life. So there's prep, there's stretching, then there's the full stretch, and then after you've extended for others, you let God take care of your needs, let God recharge you and renew you, let God refresh you in His way, in His time. Don't place that expectation on others to be your refreshment. Now I've got a memory that, that will stick with me. I have several examples of this in my own life of how I've experienced this. But early on there was a family here at our church in our first maybe year, the husband was a manly man. He was a strong man. And he was a roofer. You know, contractor focusing on roofing. And he was a real help to us early on. And I know they appreciated what we, what we do here and what we did on, on a large scale. They appreciated what we were doing. But we just weren't their preferred method and style of a church. And the way the approach was a little different. And that's okay. So they moved on. They, they moved along. But even after they moved, they still cared about our church. Their family, for years, supported our church in many unseen ways without attending here. They were still showing us love because we're in the family of God and they, they, were, they had an opportunity to, to, to help us and they did early on as a church. And I'm not going to tell you the details because their reward is in heaven of that, but I'll give you one example more personally. At one point, in a rainy freak thunderstorm, my living room, um, ceiling opened up <laughs> and water was gushing in from a thunderstorm like you know and buckets couldn't capture all the water carpet's getting ruined don't know what to do I'm not a roofer um, you know all I'm looking up is in my vaulted ceiling there's drywalls opened up and more than a water hose is coming in and it's just flooding in and pouring in so we're filling buckets and trying to figure out how to keep the pace I'm like I'm going to call so and so they're a roofer uh, they'll know what to do at least. So I call, hey, so-and-so, this is Josh at OCC. Hey, how, what's up? You know, a roof from the leak. What do I do? Um, who do I call? Is there like an emergency roofer I can call? Do you know? Can you recommend anybody real quick? He's like, hang on, I'll be there in a few minutes. So I wasn't expecting that, but he shows up in his truck, extension ladders, roofing paper, tar, tools. It's raining. And this strong man, he climbs up two stories on my slippery roof, and I'm like, I'm, I, I'm going up after him, like, because, like, I can be a help at that point, I'm thinking. So I'm, we get up there, and he starts chucking tiles to try to find the problem, and it's pouring rain. And I'm like, well, I think it's the, uh, the, uh, the valley. That's something, that's a roofing term. It might be the valley, and he's just like, he's humoring me, and, uh, and then he starts cutting all the roofing paper, and I'm like, oh, gosh, I thought he was supposed to be patching, and he's cutting. I, and then he finds the real problem. There was some roofing paper that had been punctured by some plywood that got stepped on probably years before. And uh, he's like, well, there's your problem. I'm like, well, that, you're right, that's the, that's the problem. And so he repairs the, the problem, finds the source of it, because he's the expert in this, and patches it, tars it rebuilds the tile pretty quickly. We're up there for about 40, probably 45 minutes. We get down to his truck. He puts his tools away, and I've got my checkbook out. Well, man, I really appreciate you coming. I didn't expect this. How can I repay, you know, can I, and I'm, I'm throwing out dollars, and, you know, would this seem fair? And he just, see you later. <laughs> Shook my hand, huffed, 
in his truck and drove away. And that, that strong man loved my family deeply in that moment. And I'm very grateful. He got drenched. He sacrificed. It was dinner time. It was cold outside. Now, you might be thinking, that sounds a little extreme. That's kind of overdoing it. You don't really expect me to do those kinds of things. Is that what you're saying? Here's the truth. Jesus overdid it for you. He overdid it. He is the almighty God who took on flesh, shed his blood. He was more, he, he never did anything wrong. He bled and he died to ransom you. And he is why we are called to have a full stretch for others. And through the years, I've just experienced so many of those moments where people, even from outside my church, but from within the family of God, have loved me deeply. But I can share you even more stories of people here at OCC within groups of people. When, when tragedy strikes, we had a situation yesterday where a pregnancy went really wrong. Thankfully, baby and mom are okay, but it, it looked uh, potentially fatal for both. And you know who first responders were? Group, small group. Group leaders, group members, calling, checking, praying. And by the time one of our pastors was able to directly be involved in the situation, the church had already responded because that's how it, that's actually, we're the body of Christ. We can't possibly keep up with all the needs, but you know, when we break down into groups and we commit to serve and care for each other, we really can in very powerful and practical ways. And it, and it, it was a time of, from what I understand, a time of real worship for one, one of our pastors and that husband. When, when, when our, you know, when one of our pastors was able to get there, just a time of thanksgiving for what God had provided. And because God really met the needs. And, you know, this is a real challenge for us to love one another deeply. Here's the real test and final thought on this is it's from the heart. That's what the verse says. Love deeply from the heart. Look at that, the end of the verse. That's exactly what it says. Verse 22. Sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. If it's truly from the heart, then you'll wait on God's recharge and you won't demand that from others. If it's from the heart, you will not demand it from others. If it's from the heart, it's acceptable and pleasing to God. If it's not from the heart, then it's cheap love and it's not keeping in mind the gratitude factor for Christ's precious sacrifice. Look at what Charles Spurgeon said of these verses. He said, obedience that is not cheerfully rendered is not the obedience of the heart and consequently is of little worth before God. If a person obeys because he's got no choice in the matter and would rebel if he had the opportunity, there's nothing in his obedience. The obedience of faith springs from an internal principle and not from external compulsion. It is sustained by the mind's most sober reasoning. You're keeping your thoughts, you're connecting your thoughts to the reality of truth of what God has done Sustained by the mind's most sober reasoning and the heart's warmest passion. I don't want to be someone, I don't want us to be people who love with strings attached or with expectations, but let's be honest. This is a human struggle, isn't it? It's, it's a struggle to love deeply, and it's even more of a struggle to love deeply from the heart. But that's a great challenge for us, and that's what God has demonstrated and modeled. So as we wrap this up, consider our new identity challenges us to, to live differently and to love deeply. I want to invite our worship team back up to the stage and highlight a couple next steps. The first one is this. Consider who has God placed you near to love deeply and sacrifice for. Who's in your life? 
He put you, not accidentally, in this time of history and in this city and in this area on purpose. You're a friend, you're a parent, it's not an accident. You're a neighbor, you're a co-worker, you're a spouse. Again, that's not a coincidence. What if this year you found out this is the only year you got left to live? And you knew, this, this is it. Well, I, I, let's live differently. Let's love people deeply and not hold back on those opportunities that God may use. Second thing, evaluate whether I'm seeking to give more or take more. Just, a, just an honest evaluation. This, this life, here and now, opportunity to pour yourself out and to, 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 to give. To give of yourself. And then third thing here is read Second Peter, First Peter chapter 2 to prepare your mind for action. This will help us uh, be prepared for the future weeks of this series. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time and time in your word, looking at your truth, time of prayer, time of worship. God, we thank you for the work you're doing here in us. I pray that you would be connecting the dots in all of our hearts and minds in just the right ways, God, in the ways that you would desire. Help us to aim to live differently and love deeply because you've rescued us and we're yours. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.